0: Welcome to the Roots of the Spirit podcast. I'm your host, Spirit Tafiq. I'm a social justice passionista and daughter of the civil rights movement. This podcast is my commitment to serve as an intergenerational bridge and galvanize change by having honest conversations about identity, the social construct of race, racism, and social justice. Welcome to Roots of the Spirit. Hello, Roots of the Spirit community. I'm releasing this episode on the last day of June, which happens to be the last day of Gun Violence Awareness Month, which is at the core of today's conversation. However, I refuse to allow the topic of gun violence to be confined to one month of the year, so please spread the word about this episode in honor of gun violence awareness, which really needs to be 365 days a year. As it relates to this topic, my guests on today's episode are two phenomenally courageous men, Namel Norris and Rick Velasquez talented hip-hop artists and motivational speakers in wheelchairs as a result of gun violence. I interviewed Namel and Rick a few weeks ago and their stories have been heavily on my mind ever since. Violence and in particular gun violence in the United States is such a normalized epidemic that we are thoroughly saturated yet so desensitized to. Our courageous guests have decided to use their experiences with gun violence to speak up and make a change, to shine light on the sickness that is gun violence, and advocate for people with disabilities through various mediums, one of them being hip hop, which they are both passionate about. On that note, stick around at the end of the episode to hear Four Wheel City's song titled Welcome to Four Wheel City. The content and discussion in this podcast will necessarily engage with gun violence, ableism, and experiences of emotional and physical trauma. My intention is to provide a platform from which we can engage bravely, empathetically, and thoughtfully with difficult content. Welcome to the Roots of the Spirit podcast, Namal and Rick. It's a pleasure to have you both on the show. Great to be here. I'm not sure if you recall, but I met you both at a community outreach event, and it was a street fair hosted by the Chinatown Business Improvement District in 2016. I was out Mm -hmm. there representing the Smithsonian, which is where I was working at the time, and you were performing that day.
1: Yeah, we, we both remember. I remember. Yeah, I do too. We don't forget.
0: That's cool. I'm just curious because every guest that I have on the podcast, I love to be able to provide a point of reference on how we met to connect like the social justice community. But I remember having such an enriching conversation with you both. And I was really inspired by the work that you're doing around putting an end to gun violence, disability awareness, and also you're a hip hop group. I follow Four Wheel City on social media. And June is Gun Violence Awareness Month. So I've been following some of the activities that you've been involved in. The fact that you're out in the community, wearing orange, you're doing performances. So I really want to dive deep into that. But first, I want to go back. I will start with Namal. Can you give me a snapshot of where you were born and raised and what life was like in your family and community?
2: I was born in the home of hip hop, the Bronx. Raised there, South Bronx, 169, 170. The 9 is what they call it, Washington Avenue, 3rd Avenue. Well, my mother, is me my youngest, my two younger sisters, so I was only boys growing up, um, my neighborhood, my friends. You know, just, just a young kid, any other in the projects there, just trying to get into um, going to school, playing basketball, then on the other side, hanging out in the streets with my friends, you know, getting into the neighborhood stuff that kids grow up getting into. And that was pretty much my life until so this happened to me, just trying to find my way in the streets and also, you know, going to school. and um. Rapping. I've always been rapping since I was like twelve years old. So I was also uh, pursuing my music career even from a young age with my group Nova and Elite Cartel at the time that was that was um, my dreams. And just a young kid, just doing a normal thing.
0: Nice. Thanks, Namal. How about for you, Rick? Where did you grow up and what was your journey? I was born in Honduras, Central America.
1: When I was 15, me, my mom and my sister, we migrated to the U.S. looking for the American dream. So I had to learn how to adapt to a new culture. So I was coming from this, I was speaking Spanish culture. I had to come in, go to school and learn a new culture. It was, it was, it was hard at the beginning and I, I got the hang of it and I went to high school. I always had to love for the Bronx. I had a cousin that used to go to Honduras every summer. He would always tell me things about the Bronx, the U.S., so I kind of knew a little bit when I came. So it didn't take me a lot to adapt to a new culture. And I went to school like a normal kid, and I got a part-time job. I was a normal kid, learning new things every day.
0: Now I'd like to talk about what school was like for you both. Let's start with you, Namal. What was your experience like in elementary middle and high school?
1: In elementary
2: school is where I started like getting involved in music because I went to a Catholic school that was also a music performer in our school like St. Augustine and they had us playing instruments when we we were young so school for me from younger was also a lot of music was involved because I was playing the guitar and electric bass we had a chorus we could do like concerts at least two or three a year so it was a lot of like performing and then when I went to high school I kinda got away from it a little bit but it's kinda feel like I doubled back now. And then my last year of um, high school was when I got shot. So I had after I came home from the hospital and everything, I went back to high school in a wheelchair. And so that was a whole different experience from previously. That that school experience was had, had more so to do with me finding myself. It was still social aspects to it, but I think it was more me just still wanting to get out and be social. Through the years, I finished high school, then I went to a two-year college, got my two-year degree, then I went to get a bachelor's. And through that process, I just learned more about what I wanted to do more in life and how to use school to do that, which was like music and um, also getting a job with the city, working with 311 for a little while. So I started using school more
1: to navigate what I was trying to do in life.
0: Rick, can you describe your educational experience as well?
1: I did all that back home. When I came here, they put me on on the ninth grade. And then from there, I went to the 10th, 11th, 12th, and I I was learning as I was going. Adopted to a new way of life, new culture, so I was just learning different things. It was a great experience. I remember um, in high school, I I got into, uh, I used to hang with a group of guys from back home. And we used to always get in trouble. Uh, They jumped me one time. I had had to get transferred to a different school. Luckily, at the new school, I had a cousin that was also born here. I used to always go back home. And I kind of felt protected at the new school. And I was kind of on my own, really. Young kid, learning new things. It was a great experience. Like, what I was getting here for free when I got here, you had to pay a lot of money back home. Mm Mm-hmm. So I didn't take it for granted. A like free lunch, stuff like that. Back home, you had to buy your own lunch. Came from a poor country, so I, I took advantage of everything that they had up there. When it comes to school, I didn't take it for granted. Like kind class and stuff like that. I used to always go to class, go to music class, carpentry, everything that they had. And in school, I was involved with that. I, I knew back home, Uh, It would be hard for me to get into all that stuff.
0: Thank you both for sharing your experiences. I wholeheartedly think that in order for us to fully understand one another's experiences, that we have to know our roots and where we came from and what that journey was like. At this point, I'd like to switch gears. Namel, you mentioned that it was actually while you were in high school when you were shot. But through learning your stories, I understand that, Rick, you became a victim of gun violence three years prior. If you are comfortable, can you describe the night that you became a victim of gun violence?
1: Oh, it's, it's a night that sometimes I wish I, I I could just raise up my memories. And doing stuff like this, it always bring me back, which I'm not really uh, a fan of doing interviews a lot because it always takes me back to that day. And it's, it's a day that I always try to forget.
0: Please do know that I want to be the utmost respectful and if talking about this is not comfortable for you, then we can take the conversation in a different direction.
1: No, 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 no. I, I, I'll tell you, it's just, it was, uh, it's the honest truth because every time I have issues like this, it take me back to that moment. It's a, a moment that I don't even want to think about sometimes. Yeah. But, um, it was, um, I was in the 12th grade at this, um, high school in the Bronx and, um, uh, I was walking home from school. They had a a, a party, like a senior party around June. So I went to it and then me and a couple of friends, then I had to go, I had a part-time job. I used to work at this fast food restaurant in the Bronx called White Castle. So I had to go to work the next day. So my friends went to a different party and I decided to go home and rest for the next day. So I had to be at work like early in the morning. So I went home. So on my way home, I'm walking and I just saw like a commotion, people running. And the next thing I heard was gunshots. I'm, I'm on the floor bleeding. It took me to the hospital. I, I, I took, it felt like a nightmare, like a dream. And then uh, it took me to Jacoby Hospital on the Bronx, and they, they told me I couldn't, I wasn't gonna be able to walk anymore. And at this time, I, I just, I was just thinking. The pain I was feeling, the worst pain I ever felt, I wouldn't wish that on on my worst enemy or nobody. And at the time I had a girlfriend that she was pregnant, she was like four months pregnant with my son. So it felt like a movie. And uh, I remember she came to the hospital to see me and she said, please don't die on me. So, from that moment on, it wasn't about me anymore. It was about this child that God had blessed me with, so I had to um, be there for that kid. And it became about him. It was everything about him. That gave me strength to fight back and do the things I've been doing since that day. They took me to Jacoby Hospital. I was there for like almost a month. Then they transferred me to another hospital in, my, in Manhattan called Monsignor Sinai Hospital. I was there for another month. And then from there, my house, my apartment wasn't wheelchair accessible. So they took me to like a nursing home where I was there for almost three weeks until my sister, my older sister decided to bring me home even though her apartment wasn't wheelchair really accessible. She didn't want to see me inside the nursing home. I, I, I the age that I was and, and everything that, that I was going through at, at the time, she felt like it, it was too much for me. So she brought me home and, and I stayed with her for like six months until... Me, me and my mom, we, we, had an, we got in a we wheelchair accessible apartment and projects in the Bronx where I'm still staying
0: today. Rick, your courage is immeasurable, and I can't thank you enough for your bravery to share your story. Namel, just to echo what I was saying to Rick, I'm completely open to where we take this conversation.
2: As uncomfortable as it is, like Rick and I, we know like the fact that we get opportunities to do it is like bigger than us. You know, so we talk about things a lot too that, you know, it's not just our story sometimes. It's like we still here for a reason. So like we got to kind of have some responsibility sometimes to own up to that because it comes with a lot. But we also get a lot of opportunity to do it at the same time, which is, which is a blessing too and that's that's what it is sometimes but my story is like when i was 17 um my cousin accidentally shot me playing around with a gun which was like what led up to that moment um was kind of just the lifestyle we was living at the time like running the streets when i have guns do bad things so that gun that day it happened we were kind of sharing it at the time I i forgot where he got it from but we was living together like my brother and um one of one of our friends that we, we used to hang out with asked to borrow it and he came back with it and you know started inquiring about the safety on the gun which at the time thought it was on the gun it was during my assistant's, like sweet 16 party that my my mother was following in my house and we were in the room playing around with a gun and then it went off my cousin was like started waving the thing it was on safety but i guess it wasn't just really like in my neck and that's how I ended up paralyzed. A lot of my family was there. So it was kind of like a moment where I stood still for a lot of people. It wasn't just like me. It was like everybody had to share that moment and um, take that chaos thing. The story of my journey since then, and then you know, me and Rick having that same thing in common, like the way it happened to both of us, not necessarily being like a direct thing, like kind of accidental or mistaken or whatever the case, but it's like something we share in this story and this journey that when we do Four Wheel City. That is like connected like that way too, because people don't always think about it that way. When they think about guns and gun violence, is a lot. Of, it's layered with a lot of different stories and crazy things that happen to people that people got to be made
1: aware of.
0: Thank you to you, Namal, as well for your courage. It's brave of you. It's brave of you both. That is why I wanted to speak with you because of the fact that you're using your platform to shine a light on the epidemic of gun violence and have become disability advocates. So, how did you initially meet?
1: I met the male mother first. Uh, it was uh, it was my son's birthday and um. And we, I had ordered some Domino pieces, so I went downstairs to go get it. When I was leaving my building, it was a group of ladies sitting in front of my building. So I'm coming out the building and this beautiful lady approached me, and she said, can I speak to you um, um, for a minute? She introduced herself, said her name was um, Vanessa Norris, and she had a son in the mail, and she briefly told me, um, why I had the time that he was in the hospital he was in a chair like me and he didn't know anybody else in the wheelchair if I wouldn't mind being his friend so I said of course not so I gave his mom my phone number and then I think the next day he gave me um he, he called me it was more for support really just to ask questions about being in the wheelchair, because I had been in the wheelchair three years prior to him being in the wheelchair. So I had a little bit more experience than him. Mm-hmm. Then when he called me, he was at, we was just talking about random thing like wheelchair thing. It wasn't even about music. When he called, asked me questions about how you do this, how you do that. That's how our relationship started. Really, it was it was for moral support.
0: Can you talk about some of the questions and some of the things that you had to learn and deal with, and like what you learned over those three years that you were able then to articulate to Namal? Luckily for me, when
1: they took me to Jacoby Hospital on the Bronx, there was this guy named Jimmy. Is I remember he was from he's from Jamaica. He was also on the chair. He just happened to be in the hospital around that time. So I got introduced to him around that time, which was very helpful to me because I didn't know anybody in the chair. So he kind of was telling me about good things and the bad things. Sometimes it's going to be hard. You got to take them one day at a time. Things might get better. You never know when you, when you get hurt sometimes. thing about the spine is when it heals, the nerves come back, you might walk again. It's like a... Waiting game, really. So you always have your hopes up. It was just three years in, so my injury was incomplete, which means some of my nerve was still work working. I was able to move my leg, wiggle my toes. I have feelings on both legs, so I always had hopes. I, and, and like like I said earlier. My girlfriend was pregnant, so that was my motivation. So I didn't have any time to think about, I'm in the wheelchair now. My life has changed so drastically. I knew it did. I couldn't focus on that. My main focus was being there for my son, being a father, and, and, and doing what I had to do for for, for him. So that gave me strength. Yeah. So When I met in the mill, it was around that time where I had I had all the energy in the world. I wasn't thinking about, oh, I'm in the wheelchair now. I feel sorry for myself. Nah. I couldn't think like that.
0: So, Namal, your recollection of meeting Rick? It was pretty cool. Like, I um, I just remember, like you said, I remember
2: calling him. remember my mother coming to give me the number. But it's so funny because I actually seen Rick before that time. Like, when I think maybe my first couple of days being home, I seen him going into his building, and I, like, turned my head fast because I didn't want to see him because I didn't want to see him. Because I think at the time, I had just came home, and I, where I was at in Burke Rehab, it was like, I didn't see, like, maybe when I first got there, there was this one guy. His name was Lamont, and he was cool. He was, like, the only young, like, black, urban-type kid that I'd seen at the time. Then when I came home, Rick was the second one, but I just felt like, I didn't need to speak to him because I was in a wheelchair. He was in a wheelchair whatever. And I was just hanging out with my friends, my old friends I used to hang out with. So then when I got the number, I don't know why we got to the point of him agreeing to let me come to his house. But I know when I went to his house for the first time, I took my friend P with me. I remember just like kind of playing the background a little bit because Rick was actually like kind of working on a beat when we got to his house. And I, ain't even, I don't even think I know he, he was doing music. Maybe we talked about it in the conversation, but I just remember he was working on a beat. And so, like, our first conversation was, first was about music because the friend that was with me, he knew about um, equipment and everything. So they was talking about the MPC 2000 that just came out. So, like, our first conversation was really about music. That's what I remember. Like, I remember, I feel like the first day we met, it was like, all right, time to get to work. That's how mm-hmm. it felt to me because he, like, he gave me a beat. And I felt like it was like I went to I went to get like an assignment. I've been making songs from Rick B since the first day I met him. Wow. Remember I came back and I had like I wrote like two songs and then I had to um we were working on the C D thing and then the producer I was working with, Luck, had um yeah, he had gave us a four track so we on the microphones so we just start recording and that's how we started recording. Cuz the other studio I was going to with the people I was working with before it was like up this long hill and it wasn't wheelchair accessible. So Rick his house being right there him him working equipment it was like it was like a blessing cuz it got me right back to what I wanted to do.
0: So one of the themes that has run through all of the conversations that I've had up to this point, whether we're talking about disability activism or trying to uproot racism. One of the ongoing themes is representation. What is your vision of representation and why that matters for young people to see themselves represented?
2: I feel like that's actually very important to me. That's why a lot of times from when we first started doing that, we try to stay authentic to like the way we look. And we we be in a lot of different um, environments and different places where people don't look like we look. They don't dress like we dress where we come from. But we go there and we we try to stay the way we are and it's so funny you bring that up because the first time I seen Rick that's what I seen in Rick when I didn't want to speak to him I seen he was like me mm-hmm as being like he dressed like me and I, I that's my first time seeing that as another person in the wheelchair and so it was like kind of shocking to me so like to take that forward to what we do now and we go speak to kids or either other people in wheelchairs it's like I always wanted to like still be cool because I think that's very important that that look of coolness or whatever it is it might be to anybody what it represents for them but we we went to the White House and we had on like our fitted hat but with our, with our, our blazers on but we was like that just shows we didn't do that trying to flow or anything that's just how we felt about how we present ourselves
3: mm-hmm.
2: to us it's like sometimes we don't even know what we're doing in the moment but when we look back at a lot of stuff we like that's important because I go back to like somebody like Russell Simmons who always like wore his hat and stuff or things like that it always connected to me because I felt like he was doing something and he had to change who he was and I think that's important for people to see that you can do things that's great and don't have to change who you are
0: I love that message. Namel, earlier you mentioned that you went back to finish high school while you were in a wheelchair. What was that like? Did you face barriers to accessibility?
2: Actually, when I was in the rehab of state, trying to build back up my strength and everything, they, I actually had a tutor for like a couple of months. So then when I came home, the school that I was going to at the time, they had just moved to a new building that wasn't wheelchair accessible. So they was like, you know, do you want a new tutor? Do you want to get a tutor that's going to come to your house? Or do you want to try going back to a whole new school so that was like a real like choice for me to make but I actually chose for them to find me a new school and try to go because I was I was always used to going back to school I was always just used to that that routine of going to school and getting up in the morning and traveling on a train like I said school is like a big social thing for me and I always wanted to go hang out with my friends or talk to girls or whatever the case may be so I was like you know what I don't want to sit in the house or oh, like winter and stuff so let me go try to go back to school I didn't think I didn't think I I was going to really like it. I thought it was going to be isolating and like maybe I would have to deal with a lot of feeling like outcast and stuff, but I just wanted to see, I wanted to challenge myself a little bit and um, just see... um how I would, how I would make out in that environment. And if I didn't like it, I could always just stop. But when I went back to high school for that last year, most of the people there were like really nice to me. That's when I was like, okay, so I could do this. And it gave me something like to strive for every day. And so I just kept, I kept that same attitude as I went forward. And it, it helped build my character more so coming out of my shell at the time too. Because sometimes when you have a a life changing moment or situation and like your identity is in question a little bit. You have to um be able to put yourself in spaces where you can react to see like you gotta challenge yourself and react to see how your personality will handle certain things. For me it was it was working out to where I was feeling getting getting get more confident in um my ability to go out into the world. So I kept kept growing like that. And it started from going back to school, I think. That was like the first my first big
1: challenge of like going out into the world.
0: So for you, Rick, did you go back to school?
1: No, nah, I, I could have, I, I didn't. I became a full-time, full-time daddy. <laughs> and I what I did was send me going to school I, my, my son mother went back to college and I decided to stay home with my son take care of my son so she could go get her degree and at the same time that's how I got um, deep into the music to learn my craft how to um, use certain equipment video editing uh, equipment graphic design that was the thing that helped for the city later on we was doing our own thing we was printing our own CDs we was recording our own music, mixing down on music, doing video. I didn't go to school for it, but I, I took the time while I was here with my son to learn all those things.
0: That is too cool. That is really awesome. I love that. Hmm. So I want to talk about Four Wheel City. You hit it off right away. You both had hip hop music in common, and you started working together from the first time that you met. So take me on the journey of Four Wheel City.
1: Let the Mel He has a, a good way of telling his story, how we the whole thing started
2: the City is really, it really started the moment I think Rick and I met, like, musically. the City is an idea for people to be inspired in two ways. It was like to be inspired, to not give up and to push forward and also like know that just because somebody is in a wheelchair or has a setback, that's a, that doesn't mean they can't be talented and go out into the world and be, and make a change. In Four Wheel City, when Rick and I first started working on music together, that wasn't our mission. We were just really trying to make dope music and we was doing that. But then in the process of doing that, you know, we were seeing things that was um bothering us or made us just talk and question things like stuff not being wheelchair accessible or like people that that we know who were like in wheelchairs. Like, God bless the dead. We had a good friend who was in a wheelchair. His name was P Dice. And he would like, he would like push himself everywhere from Brooklyn to come see us in the Bronx. And we'd be talking about stuff and he didn't know, he didn't have a lot of information. Like he didn't know about getting a social security check. He didn't know about ride. He didn't like know so much things that we knew that we felt like, like people should know. So he gave us inspiration to want to help people have inspiration to get, um, get information. So that, and, and so me and Rick always had like a passion to help people and also like put a voice behind disability so we, we we was working together doing music and we had our name was Four Wheel Records and I was Tap Waters the artist and Rick is my producer. And then um I was working on my second mixtape. I was doing a remix to uh I think Cameron and Jay-Z song, Welcome to New York City. Instead of saying New York City, I'm flipping it to Four Wheel City because we had Four Wheel Records and I'm like Rick was recording me and like right in that moment we kind of knew what it was. Just the idea of saying Four Wheel City. That's the place, that's the idea that people can get everything 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 we wanted people to have, and we was trying to change. It's like an actual place now. Like, we built a place called Four Wheel City, and it started with music. Rick and I, we didn't even know at first that we would be doing music as Four Wheel City. It was just like an idea. And then we made that song, Welcome to Four Wheel City, and that was like off to the races with it because um, that's when we learned that Four Wheel City is bigger than the two of us. Four Wheel City is for everybody, it's, it's inside everybody's in every city. And the mission is to inspire people never to give up, educate the youth about experiences. We advocate for disabilities right and then we entertain and that gave us it's a blessing because it gave us a way to um showcase our talent as like doing music and sometimes it, it, it might go over people's head because they might hear some of the music and they will think like rick and i this is this is this is why we do music for those messages but really me and rick is just like two talented artists and we could do whatever kind of music we want to do but this is something that challenges us and, and, and is a voice for people
0: absolutely beautiful the way you describe it because like you said you're two talented artists you want to create music good music and out of that organically grew everything else and it's almost like exactly. yeah that's awesome so how about from your point of view rick i mean he pretty much said everything
1: but just to echo some of the stuff that he mentioned we never set out to become all motivational speakers, or advocates for people with disability. We were just trying to find something to do, really. <laughs> and we were um, doing music, and then we started speaking about things that matters to us now that we have a disability. Like he said, on places not being wheelchair accessible, on people not knowing about certain resources, as out here for people with disability. That's where we came up with the idea like, you know what, we need to build a a a platform where everybody with that has disability can go there and get information about uh how to get into housing, how to get a job, how to go back into social security, SSI. That that was the main idea behind Four Wheel City. And they turned into what it is now, which is a beautiful thing.
0: So what do you think was the turning point from producing music to becoming a movement. The turning
1: point was, I remember uh, the Mel, he, he was working at Mount Sinai Hospital, some program. He could tell you about that, but I briefly, I'm just going to tell you my part. So I came to see him one day while he was at work, and there was this guy named Jim, Jim, um, what's his name? Jim Cesarean? That's his name, that? Yeah. They was going to have an event like the following week or two days later. It was uh some fundraiser, right? People with disabilities, something that they had going on in Mount Sinai. So I told him, you know the Mel rap, right? He was like, no way. Let me hear something. And then he decided to spit a verse about this He was like, "Hey, you know what? You come perform at uh at the event we having tomorrow at the fundraiser." In my opinion, that's how the whole thing started. He could tell you more about it.
2: I would say that was the moment. I guess you could say it was like activated because it was like that fundraiser came. I think I don't think it was the next day, but it was like I think it was like a month later or something like that. It was coming up. And it's so ironic that um we had just recorded this song. Welcome to Four Wheel City, the movement. Maybe maybe like a week before. And um. That's a song I'm talking about um, more, bringing more awareness and accessibility, and I just I was like I want to perform that song because I know it's gonna be a lot of people in wheelchairs in the room and they can not relate. As opposed, I would, I didn't know where else I could perform this song, and at this time, Rick and I had never even. We never did, like, no show together because we wasn't a group. <laughs> Rick just was my producer, and we was working on building, like, for the city, like, for the people. But, like, we never, we never did no interview together. We never, like, talked like we were together as a unit. So that song is kind of what actually brought Rick and I together. And another good friend of ours who used, used to come with us all the time when we first started out Manga, he used to come help us all the time. So when I got the opportunity to perform, I was like, I want y'all to come with me because this song is saying, welcome to Four Wheel City and it ain't just me, but so I want y'all to be up there with me. Mm-hmm. And that's how we started like performing together. And from that moment, it was like Four Wheel City was born because after that, we got asked to perform somewhere else. The Debilities Expo. Um, Somebody wanted to interview us. It was like stuff that just came after the performance. And then it was a good time. And I was just about to um, finish going to Lehman College. So it was giving me something to look forward to. And um, so after that happened, I, I started seeing the potential. And me and Rick, we started taking it serious as because... Even though things was happening, nobody was really coming to us and, like, helping us push it forward mm-hmm. or, like, organize it or structure it. So we had to do that ourselves. And it was a good time because I was just finishing school. And, again, that's what I wanted to do, like, the rest of my life. Even that song, The Movement, is so funny because that almost didn't happen. That moment almost didn't happen because I was with Rick. we was in the studio and I was leaving, like he had played the beat for me. And I was like, Rick, this beat is so hot, man. Like in a club, this beat would be dope. But what I would like to do is actually make a song about something, like a message, because I felt like that was missing from hip hop at the time, I felt like, I didn't. I never heard a song that with that. When I heard the beat, that would have a message, and people could actually be like bouncing to the message, right, as opposed to just somebody just saying like like just drink or do drugs or do something crazy in the club or whatever. But I just knew that that beat was so hot that I was like, let's try to let's try to make the song about stuff not being wheelchair accessible. But then I had to leave because my special ride at the time was downstairs, and the beat was so hot, and I was feeling it so much. I was starting to write it a little bit. I had to leave, but the ride left, so I had to. To go back to rick and so while i was waiting for my next ride to come that's how we made the song but i just wanted to really finish the song because i was really inspired by the message and that's how that's how it came to be and i only started writing songs like that i want to give a shout out to like i always be wanting to do that to like a lot of the artists that i grew up around in the neighborhood we grew up in a lot of talented like rappers and they always i always felt challenged by them but and I was like, damn, like now that I'm like this, how can I be different? And that's what made me want to start writing different type of songs because of them a lot. And I think they, they helped me and Rick wanna be different and like not be afraid to like challenge ourselves like musically.
0: Four Wheel City is performing music, you're doing motivational speeches at hospitals, schools, rehab centers, fundraisers, and you have been all over the world spreading your message and your movement. Mm-hmm. What's that been like?
1: It's been great, it's been a dream. It's so real, I mean, sometimes we go to these places and we be like, are we here for real? We at the White House, we at the United Nations? The funny thing about it, we feel like superheroes, cause we go to these places, right? you would think, all right, we done. We just came from the White House. We going to our own house. We own the house somewhere in Jersey. We come back to the projects to see bricks and walls. And there's a reason for that. No, I guess we um, we have a story to tell. Like We go and do what we need to do and come back to the projects in the Bronx. In the Bronx, he goes to the projects in Manhattan. So that keeps us humble.
0: The White House, the United Nations. I see Namal posted up with Jay Z.
1: <laughs> and also
2: crazy about all that stuff is like we always feel like that stuff is not for us. It's for it's for what the message is. Like these people are put in, in the path for a reason. And like we meet so many people, go so many places. And like like Rick's saying, it feel like we like we're just the servants of it. I feel like it's for everybody else. You know, I feel like it's, it's just a journey. And I love it. I love it because it keeps me hungry and ambitious about it. Because all the dots connect and come back to the thing that we're trying to do. At the end of the day, I, w- I wouldn't have it no other way. I've been like that since the kid. It's always, I like to um, surprise. I like to be like a surprise, you know. I don't mind a chip on my shoulder or people underestimating us. because we we've been through that so many times where people see us and be like, What are these two guys in the wheelchair gonna do here? Like we have to showcases or sometimes even when we go to the schools or whatever the case may be. And then by the time we finish doing what we do, you can just sense a whole different type of vibe and level of respect. So a lot of things we do, I feel like that's part of it. And so we meet when we meet people and we go places. I feel like that's that's the story that's supposed to be told. Even looking at, like somebody like Nipsey Hussle, like the legacy he he left behind. I, I always think about like the stuff he was doing, like right in his own community. You know, sometimes you don't you just never know how the things you do affect and appreciate over time.
0: I totally hear what you're saying. And like I said earlier, like I've been watching your work over the last three years. It's just amazing to see how your uh, movement has transformed and all of the work that you're doing. And I just know that you're impacting so many people every single day. At the heart of your work is a campaign to put an end to gun violence. I know you work with youth a lot. So what is your core message for young people in particular?
2: That's a big message in terms of like it's very, it's very sensible for me. Rick could tell you what it is for him because we both come from different experiences from it. But for me, being that I came from a place where the gun that shot me was also a gun that I like carried on my hip and probably loaded the bullet that shot me into that gun. If I could go in front of a kid and say that to a kid who might want to carry a gun and just maybe that one day he might pick up that gun and be like, maybe just have a glimpse of my voice and it say like, damn, like that guy, I, I heard like this gun I'm carrying, nigga, like this might be the gun that shoot me one day. This bullet I'm putting in this gun, that might be the bullet that shoot me one Just to have that, that thought planted. And like a young person had I think is important. And then on the flip side of that, that's that's the scary part. But the I think the hopeful part about me and Rick is doing is that that's not it. You know, we don't we don't we didn't give up. So it's like that other side of it is like not to make excuses and you can make your dreams happen. And um we if we doing it in wheelchairs coming from the bottom and overcoming what we overcoming, then any young person or anybody shouldn't have no excuse. And if they do feel like they want to have an excuse, they can just come to Fort city and get inspiration.
0: For you, Rick, when you're in the community and you engage with politicians or community leaders, what is your message about gun violence?
1: My message is we need to take all guns away from the people that don't need to have a gun. I have a new proposal. Next time I see somebody that's into politics, you know what it is? We need to put taxes on bullets. Bullets need to, the price of bullets to go up to $1,000 a bullet. Let me see who's going to be shooting people out there. See how they put taxes on cigarettes and 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 it, it's a big thing about um, legalizing weed and all that. How about we put some taxes on bullets? I mean, it's not the guns that kill, it's the bullets.
2: I like that one.
1: Oh, and uh, now since we're on that topic, I want to, um, you
2: know, mine, I just thought about that. I want to a uh, give well to um, Big Poppy, David Ortiz, he just got shot in, in the DR. I wanted to say that because I met him before and he, he showed me a lot of love and whatnot, and I heard about that happening. I hope he get well. I don't know if you heard about it.
0: Yeah, I did. I
2: found it like crazy, something like that happening to a guy like him in his hometown, and then there's Gun Violence Awareness Month, so we talk about it. I just wanted like, cause it just gun. I think sometimes it, it becomes so routine with guns and gun violence that you almost forget how many people have actually been killed or victims to gun violence, cause it just sounds like just a headline sometimes that the gun you don't even realize like it's it still gun violence.
0: I completely agree, which (laughs) is why I I feel like your stories have so much power and weight and influence and impact because there is, we are inundated with violence. When you turn on the television, also like gun violence. I was looking up statistics before our conversation and all of the politicians are talking about gun violence now because we're coming up on an election. So everyone was tweeting, we lose 100 (laughs) Americans every day to gun violence and dozens of others who are injured a hundred people a day. Wow. I believe your story is incredibly powerful and gives us so much to think about. We have such a long way to go in terms of eliminating gun violence and creating an accessible world where access is a reality for people with disabilities. And I want to say thank you for creating Four Wheel City as, as a platform to use your talents and gifts to make a change. I have a sister in a wheelchair, and I'm ashamed to say that my awareness around access came after she was in a car accident and had to use a wheelchair. I'm working very hard to try to make a change in myself when it comes to different communities and being aware of the structural barriers that exist. And I want to use this platform to help people become educated and aware of, so that the emotional labor does not always fall on the people who, who had the personal experiences. My last gear shift as we're coming to the close of this beautiful conversation, without any context or explanation, my sig signature question, Namal, what are the roots of your spirit?
2: Oh, that's cool. The roots of my spirit, is, and it's cool to um do this right now too because we our last mixtape was called Spiritual and it was like a lot of um you know just spiritual vibes on there. Um, and the roots of my spirit I think just comes from the essence of like a lot of it has to do with the way I grew up, my mother just staying sensitive to like the universe and God and um paying attention to the signs. And for me, I try to um I'm I'm a very um spiritual person and every day. I'm I'm looking I'm looking for something to lead me in the right direction. My spirit is rooted in faith. I think you gotta have a lot of faith. I think I think the battle for the spirit most of the time is between like faith and fear. And like because we, we don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. We don't know what's gonna happen the next second from now. It could be a little like daunting or people could feel like can give themselves a lot of negative feedback. And a lot of my, my spiritual side come from me trying to just not take it all on myself. And like actually, um I believe in the spirit, so I actually try to connect with the spirits on a day to day basis and do things based on spiritual necessity and seeing how that would play out and I try to carry it all myself and let the spirit take control and through that in faith, you start to see a trend of a pattern of the way things play out. I think spirituality is an exercise you gotta you gotta um. Gotta practice it and test it all the time and see how it plays out. And once you keep getting like confirmations of certain things, then it lets you know that the spirit is real. At least that's what happens for me. And just seeing how things play out, no matter if it's good or bad, but not being discouraged in that and still pushing forward.
0: Rick, what are the roots of your spirit? How am I supposed to follow what this man just said? Oh
1: my God. Um, How is it happening? I'm pretty much surviving. On that fateful day, I uh, could have been gone. And then God blessed me with a beautiful child. Even after the fact, after me being in the chair, I have a daughter at seven years old now. So he blessed me with, with a daughter after this happened to me. So it, it, if you if you don't believe in in, in in something after that, and then God, I don't know why it have to happen. Being blessed with two beautiful kids, Especially the second one when the doctors thought that I wasn't going to be able to have kids anymore. And I have a daughter that's seven years old. And my son, he finished college. He's a grown man now. And that's God right there. God give blessings.
0: That's fabulous. I appreciate you both very much for being so open, honest, and true. And speaking so candidly about your experiences. Where can the Roots of the Spirit community catch up with? four-wheel city?
2: Yeah, everywhere. I mean, if you're on social media, everything is just four-wheel city. The number four, W-H-E-E-L-C-I-T-Y. On Instagram, it's 4 Wheel Citygram. On Spotify, iTunes, the same name, but just with sort a of space, four, space, wheel, space, city, space. Yeah, like the GoFundMe as well. Anybody want to support our school efforts, with the youth and welcome to reality talk. and um you know look out for us on the tv because we got got some things coming up We can't talk too much about but we be around just come to four wheel city four we're going to be selling our hats and um our shirts
1: online it's going to be on our on our site we here we around and the proceeds from that goes back to pushing the moving forward it's not going in our pocket now
0: well, I thank you so much. And I know that the Roots of the Spirit community will be so glad to hear your story and will support the movement in any way that we can. Also, thank you guys for blessing the Roots of the Spirit community with your song, Welcome to Four Wheel City, which will play at the end of the episode. Thank you, Namel. And thank you, Rick. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
3: Yo. tight man. Get this car to start. Yeah. Four wheel city. Alright, let's roll. Let's go. Drop July. that, cops, over us. They're watching. They don't want us to be a part of these city, man. They pull all these steps, man. All these curves, you can't get all, all good, though. All these inaccessible stores. Four wheel city, city. They don't want us here. Yes, and observe like excuse me sir can I cross the street can't you see I'm in the chair cause I can't move my feet why you